Hi, I'm Greg Harton. Welcome to Speaking of Arkansas. As this podcast is released on September 22nd, we're starting National Drive Electric Week, an annual observance of people and organizations enthusiastic about electric vehicles. Here in northwest Arkansas, according to state records, there are about 2,100 electric vehicles in Benton and Washington counties. These two counties and Pulaski County make up where the great majority of electric vehicle owners live in our state. Today I'm talking with Gary Berger of Bentonville, founder and board member of the Tesla Owners Club of Arkansas, which formed in 2019. We'll talk about his experience of driving an electric vehicle and address some of the concerns that come from skeptics who declare they'll never own an electric vehicle. Stay tuned after our interview, and I'll tell you about an event coming up on September 30th where the curious can go to have their questions answered and even have an opportunity to drive an electric car. But first, here's what Gary Berger had to say when I recently connected with him by phone. So, uh, Gary, tell me just a little bit about the process that you went through that convinced you that an EV was the right call for you. So, from 2017 to 2019, I did a lot of online research, joined a bunch of forums, did a lot of reading, talked to a lot of people, and pretty much uh, justified a decision I had already made that I wanted to go EV. So, after the two years of research, I rented a Tesla for a week uh, from a local owner who put it up on the Turo app. And I did everything that week with that car and didn't touch my other car, my ICE car. And after that week, I was more convinced, yes, this is absolutely what I wanted. And that's that's how it worked. And I put my order in. Uh, back then, you had to wait a little while and got the car. And for the past four years, I've been very happy that I made that decision. So you mentioned ICE. That would be internal combustion engine. Yes. What were the pros and the cons that you were weighing? So um, there's quite a few. I'll just hit the highlights and we can go as far as you want with this. There's um, vastly less maintenance because there are so many less parts that just don't they're just they just aren't there. There's nothing to wear out. There's nothing to replace. You know, there's no oil to change. There's no catalytic converter that's going to get stolen. You can charge at home. It's extremely convenient. You just plug in as though you plug in a cell phone at night, and then the next morning you've got a fully charged cell phone, or in this case, a car. Uh, so maintenance, charging, there's over-the-air updates. We're constantly getting bug fixes and new features for free over the air while you sleep. Transporting by electricity is just cheaper than using gasoline. Uh, for the comparison of my Honda internal combustion car versus the electric car, it's about a third to charge it by electricity as opposed to filling the Honda with gas. So it's three cents a mile instead of nine cents a mile to drive electric for me. There are environmental advantages that that just feels good that I'm not polluting while I'm driving. You can get service. In my case, I get service at home in my garage. The guy comes to me if I need anything. Uh, There's a great phone app that you can do all kinds of stuff remotely. Keep an eye on your car and pre-warm it and pre-cool it. It's very handy. The supercharger network, in my instance, if you have a Tesla, the supercharger network is uh, everywhere and very handy and eliminates the range anxiety issues. And on that note, uh, starting next year, virtually every other brand of EEV is going to have an adapter 
so that they can also use the supercharger network. So it's not unique. Starting next year, it won't be unique to Tesla to be able to use the supercharger network. So that's some of the advantages. There's there's many more. So what did you feel like some of the the cons were that you that that perhaps you still feel like are cons, but that you feel like have been you know mitigated by the pros? Um, yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back off a of Tesla and just talk EV in general. <clears throat> if you're if you're not on the available, if you can't use the Tesla supercharger network, it is a challenge today to find a charger that works and to use it. There, it's much more cumbersome with accounts, a variety of different accounts and credit cards and things, hoops you have to jump through. If you can find a working charger, they tend not to be as fast as a supercharger. If you're, for instance, driving a Ford Mach-E and you want to go on a road trip, you've got to find a place to charge and it's got to be working and you've got to have an account. So that's cumbersome. It'd be as though a gas car had to find a particular brand of gas station with a particular size nozzle in order to fill their car. That's where EVs are today. But as I just mentioned earlier, starting next year, virtually all the brands are going to have an adapter available to use the supercharger network. Um, Some other disadvantages for really across all the brands of EVs is there's a learning curve. It's kind of like when we first went from landlines to cell phones, you had to learn how to use your cell phone and all the different applications and features. So when you get an electronic electric vehicle, you have to learn that kind of stuff. Depending on the brand, the sales process can either be really easy because you do it online in five minutes and then you get notified that your car is ready and you're done. There's no haggling. Or for some brands, the dealers either aren't motivated to sell EVs or don't know how and can't answer all the questions. I've gone into various brands and just asked questions. Uh, it's different for every brand. So there's there's issues there. Again, we're at the very beginning of this migration, and so those kinds of issues are expected. Uh, other issues are, and this is particular maybe just to me, I don't like having to use a touchscreen to change my climate control. You have to take your eyes off the road. That's not necessary. If you just had a knob that you're used to turning to adjust temperature, then you wouldn't have to take your eyes off the road. Um, In some cases, you may have to go farther for service. Uh, A brand, for instance, like Rivian or Lucid, they're not a big brand like a Ford or a Chevy, and so there isn't going to be a place to service in every city. So that's a disadvantage, depending on the brand you choose to get. Um, There may be higher insurance rates, And I guess the last two are if you don't have a way to charge at home or at work, you probably need to think it through before you make the jump to EV, especially today with what I just mentioned about the charging challenges. If you can't charge at home or at work, then you might get frustrated. You can plug into a 120-volt outlet, but it'll just take forever to recharge. You know, I hear from people who, because I've written about electronic vehicles before or electric vehicles before, and, you know, I, I get some of the doubters that, that will email me or call me. And, you know, it seems like some of them are uh, perhaps not as um, as concerned about the environmental issues as uh, others are. And, you know, I'm just curious, do you have to be kind of a climate change warrior, uh, more or less, to convince yourself that electric vehicles are the right way to go? So when our club does uh, marketing, uh, such as at Cars and Coffee events, we get 
we got a wide variety of questions from people curious and from people who are absolutely against it. And our club's position is that if it's not right for you, that's okay. We address uh, some of the challenges, some of the some of the reasons they bring up for why it's not right for them. For instance, if you want to if you want to hop in your electric truck and tow an RV, you're going to be unhappy because the range is just going to sink like a rock. Uh, and you need to know that up front before you before you do that. And the environmental side, it, every person is different, and we don't we don't tend to push back if if they're convinced that we don't need to address climate change. We're not going to change their mind. Certainly not trying to convince them to buy an EV to do that. That's just a tiny part of the overall picture and what things have to happen to address that issue. We, we've had some people that, you know, are, you know, they feel like the federal government is trying to, you know, shove it down their throats. And, and, yes. I, and I've written before that, I mean, yes, the, I think the federal government is, is promoting electric vehicles and, and ha- has had some funding and legislation that ha- will help develop the system of chargers, those sorts of things. But I just don't get the sense that there's anybody uh, twisting my arm to force me to give up a gas-fueled vehicle uh, and, until I decide it's right for me. Um, exactly. It, so we, we do come across people who, who have that opinion that it's not for them solely because the government thinks it is. And, and we don't make a big deal out of that. That's our, you know, it's a personal decision. Gas cars are going to be around for a long time. In some segments, they may be around for a really, really long time, such as airplanes and semis, you know, things that have to haul a lot of weight. We're, we're nowhere near there yet. So if it's not right for them, you know, that's okay. And we don't make a big deal out of it with them, try to convince them otherwise. So, for, so some people resent, for example, that the federal government will give you up to a $7,500 tax credit if you buy an electric vehicle. That can come across as the government trying to tell you that you need to. Or some states, for example, mandating picking a year like 2030 or 2035 and saying, okay, you, can't, you can no longer sell new gas-fueled vehicles from that date on. But it's not like flipping a switch you'll still be able to keep your existing cars. You can buy them in another state that allows it after that date and bring it back home. Uh, it won't apply to big trucks. It won't apply to airplanes. You know? So there's, although it may seem at first blush like it's being forced, I, I think it's a good compromise between addressing climate issues and not forcing it on people. There's a long transition period. One thing people might consider is a hybrid as a step towards that, where they still can use gas for long trips, but use electricity for short trips, which is mostly what people do is just errand running, going to school and work, where electricity is perfectly fine. So I think, you know, the short answer to your question is we don't, as a club, we don't push it on people. And we think it's a good compromise. If we did nothing, then in a lot of people's opinion, we're not going to solve the climate issue. Well, I know in my case, I I don't, I, I don't own an electric vehicle but i but i have gotten an e-bike and i transitioned uh three or four years ago to a, a, a lawnmower that is electric and uh i i can just tell you i love not having to deal with oil and gas uh on on those sorts of things and uh 
uh, and my e-bike gets me around uh, Fayetteville quite uh, quite well. And uh, and it's it's kind of nice to just leave my uh, I have an F-150 truck, you know, so it's kind of nice to just leave that sitting in the driveway. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider a newspaper subscription to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette or the River Valley Democrat Gazette. We have a special offer for our podcast listeners, so visit nwaonline.com slash podcast23 to get started. You can also click the subscribe button on our websites, nwaonline.com and rivervalleydemocratgazette.com. Or call us at 479-684-5509 and be sure to say that you're a podcast listener. Now back to the show. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you, you said you've had yours for uh, a couple of years, or four years, is that right? Four years, yes. Okay. What's the longest trip you've taken? So I, for me right now, it's a second car. When we go on long trips, generally that's to my in-laws, and they live in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, literally. So I couldn't do it in my electric car uh, currently until the charging infrastructure is set up in that part of the state. So uh, the longest, to answer your question, the longest trip I've taken would be from uh, northwest Arkansas up to uh, Kansas City, for example. I think that's three hours there is charging along the way and so it's it's very easy it's not uh, anything i'm concerned about at all so do you have members who go on longer trips and and navigate the the challenge of finding chargers we have 1300 members in our club around arkansas and many many of them their sole vehicle is electric and so they don't have a choice uh, and they get along fine Uh, i can think of members who have families of five people and they'll hop in their electric vehicle with all their luggage, perhaps even a dog, and they'll go around the country, and then they'll get online on our forum, and they'll report back how it went. Things like the um, money they saved by charging electric instead of fueling with gas, and whether or not there was room for all their stuff, and was it inconvenient to stop and wait longer to charge than you would if you filled up with the ga- uh, gasoline. And uh, the vast majority of these testimonials are positive. They went into it knowing what they were going to get into, and they're, they're happy with it. The only issues are things like there's a learning curve, for instance, in the winter. You use the heater that uses up more energy. If you're going to tow, that uses more energy. And you just need to know in advance and plan for that. And if you're going somewhere where there absolutely is no charging, then you have to find an alternative. But those are, those are a small percentage of the cases, at least amongst our 1,300 members. So you've dealt with a lot of skepticism, it sounds like, as you guys promote your own decisions and why you made them. Uh, let me run through a few of the ones I've heard and just kind of see, you know, I don't expect you to be a, a spokesman for, you know, electric companies or anything like that. But, but I think you've, you've kind of gone through this thought process. So let me throw a, a few of these at you. One of the big uh, concerns is the electric grid in the United States can't handle people switching to electric vehicles. And uh, kind of a ancillary to that is, you know, that so much of our electric electricity is, is still fossil fuel based. So, you know, is it really saving the environment if you're getting your electricity for your car from a fossil fuel based electric grid? Tell me your, your thoughts on that. So, after six years of studying this, and, and every day I'm reading articles related to re- exactly to what you're asking, so I have two responses. One is that I trust that because this is not an overnight transition, we have time to accommodate. 
uh, things like um, people learning how to charge at night, like their cell phone, as, as opposed to doing it during the day. If you charge at night, the grid isn't as heavily loaded and it can handle it. I trust there are smart people planning, or I know there are smart people out there planning for this transition. Part of it is political, depends on how much money gets allocated to boost up the grid. Personally concerned about the security of the grid, not, grid, not so much whether it can handle the load because there have been instances of people vandalizing transformer stations, for example. Nothing to do with whether the grid can handle the load of electric vehicle charging, but you know, it's just a security concern. The other thing with respect to the grid is that, and, and you mentioned the source of the power so uh, of the electricity. So it comes from a variety of sources, as I'm sure you know, but the rate of growth of renewable sources is faster than the rate of growth of non-renewable. So even though we're drilling for more oil and using more oil, that growth rate is slower than wind and all the other renewable sources. Those are growing faster. And again, I put that in the hands of these smart people that are and companies and countries that have put resources into making sure that's the direction we go. So when you put all that together, personally, I feel comfortable that we're not going to have a problem. A third thing I just thought of is that uh, more and more electric vehicles are going to come out with features where they can put electricity back into the grid. So say 10 or 15 years from now, when there's many more electric vehicles out there, and many more of which can provide electricity, you could plug in at night in your garage and feed electricity back into the grid. Well, imagine if thousands or millions of people are doing that. That would help uh, alleviate any issues. There are some people right now today in our club who get electricity off of solar panels on their roof. It charges a battery in their garage, and then at night they use that battery to charge their car. So they're not even using the grid at all. It's all from the sun. And down the road, when the utility companies can handle it, they'll be able to push that electricity from the battery that's been charged during the day by the sun back into the grid. Uh, let's talk about the charging station. You know, the in addition to buying a car, you know, one of the criticisms has been, or skepticisms, I guess, has been that well, you also have to spend a, a bunch of money to put a charging station in your car to make this a viable option. Is that an accurate point? Yes, you do have to think about how you're going to charge. Some people just charge at work because they, you know, they're they're fortunate that their work situation provides for that. Some for some people it's free. Some people just use charging stations around town uh, solely. They have, for instance, if you live in an apartment and your apartment doesn't have facilities to charge and they want to allow you to install facilities to charge, but you still want to drive electric, you don't have a choice but to go out and find your electricity somewhere. And some people do that. And, and uh, yeah, it's more cumbersome and a, and a nuisance compared to gasoline today, but that's their choice and, and they're making it work. So if you want to charge at home and you have, for instance, a garage that can accommodate that and you know, you hire an electrician. In my case, I added a 240-volt outlet in my garage, like a dryer outlet. In my case, it cost $225 because I was only six feet from the circuit breaker panel. So I kind of got lucky. If you're farther away or if you hire a company, maybe the charge is more, it could be more. There are companies out there, uh, one of which sponsors our club, where their sole business is to help people figure out how they're going to charge at home. And they'll take care of permits and the installation and whatever is required to make that happen. And they'll tell you up front what it's going to cost, and they'll schedule it with you, and they'll, and they'll come and make it happen. So, it, yes, it's something new because nobody's ever installed a, a gas nozzle at home to charge to uh, refill their car by gasoline. But now you do have to think, where are you going to get your electricity? 
once it's in, you never have to worry about it again. You, you drive home into your garage and you plug in and you're, and you're done. You never have to go through that again. So another kind of skepticism that I've, I've heard, uh, uh, electric cars are not dependable in cold weather or extreme hot weather. It seems like every winter or every hurricane season when when there has to be some kind of evacuation or uh, anything like that, you always hear these people say, uh, okay, if, you know, what if you were stuck in that long line of cars evacuating and uh, and you you run out of electricity? Well, what then? You know, you you can't go, you can't walk down the to the next interchange and get you a tank of electricity. So a number of things come to mind. One is that um, it, it, it's not that they would break; it's that the range shortens. I think that's what you meant. Is that right. You right. Have to accommodate. Okay. It's it's not a dependability issue. They don't break. These electric cars very rarely break. There's just nothing to break, but they do run out of electricity. And if you're stuck in the middle of a blizzard on a freeway with a thousand other cars, yeah, that that's an issue. So a couple of things. One is, again, in the case of Tesla, I don't know if other companies do this. They, um, for instance, in Texas, if they know a blizzard's coming and the grid may be challenged, they'll give you free supercharging. And they'll tell you in advance over your phone app, hey, this, this weather event is coming. You may want to consider fully charging right now. So that's kind of cool that they tell you that in advance. And in some cases, if you go to a supercharger, it's free. Another thing is that um, we get this, we, we hear this all the time. I see this online. Uh, the power is out. You can't recharge your car. Well, you know what? You can't refill your gas tank at a gas station if the power's out either. It needs electricity to pump gas. Y- yep, either way, you've got to accommodate for that. And I recognize that you could have tanks of gas, I guess, in your house and refill your car. Uh, and you can't do that with electricity if the grid is down. So it, it, with that respect, they're right. It's a challenge, but uh, I think this is more of a corner case. And in most instances, you know in advance if a bad weather event's coming and you can accommodate for it. You may choose to stay home and not risk it out on the roads or uh, you know, just charge fully. And you, you can go days on a full charge, depending on how far you need to go. Okay. The issue you brought up about the, uh, the, the winter weather, yes, it does burn up electricity regardless of which brand vehicle or model it does burn electricity in order to generate heat to keep the occupants warm so you know i'll give you my kind of impression that when i think of potentially buying an electric vehicle the next time we buy a vehicle i i I tend to think we generally take my truck when we go someplace uh, long distance because it can carry a lot of uh, suitcases and that sort of thing um but my wife's car could be I think an EV quite easily because she generally is driving short distances around Fayetteville. Her, her car's, you know, 20, 20 years old. So, uh, uh, but that's her choice. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I can see replacing that quite easily and, and really never having to worry about the range anxiety part of it, as long as we had that second vehicle. And, and that's kind of where I'm falling right now. Uh, is that how a lot of people kind of function is is having one that is their long distance car and one that is uh their their in town driving so we have a lot of members I, i'm in i'm in agreement with you we have a lot of members in that situation our household is that way too we have a gas vehicle and we have an electric vehicle if it's errand running or if we're not moving a big piece of furniture that won't fit in my tesla then yeah we have to take the other vehicle all right well tell me any last words of wisdom for people who are, you know, on the fence or who, you know, may not be thinking about an EV right now, but 
interested in in understanding that just tell me tell me uh, any final words there so um i guess to summarize the best way i can say if you're if if you've never driven one go drive one and that may or may not make the decision for you right there i've i've personally sold people on evs just by letting them drive my car and they go oh i get it now i understand how easy it is and how comfortable it is and how low maintenance it is and how much cheaper it is to refuel it um and it's not scary you know it'll it'll take a day to get used to driving with one pedal instead of two pedals because uh, EVs let you drive with just one pedal, and and then and then you get back in the gas car and you go, wow, this is like old-fashioned. So that would be one thing: is just go try one. You can rent one online. Uh, there's applications that let you rent EVs. You can go to Hertz at an airport and rent an EV. They've got tens of thousands of them now. And then the second thing would be, if you're serious, um, you could join a forum and ask questions. A lot of people have done that in our club. They'll join without an EV just to find out the answers to their questions so they know whether or not they can make a, you know, they want to make that decision or not. Uh, you mentioned having it as a second car. That's an option for some people to get their toe, you know, dip their toe into the EV ocean. Uh, and then consider how you're going to charge it. If you're in an apartment or a condo or something where you can't charge, then think that through before you buy. And I guess the last thing I'll say is that every single brand of a car manufacturer, every single one of them, even the outliers like a Ferrari or a Rolls-Royce, they are all going electric. So this is going to happen. It'll take years, but you'll have tons of choices. I think having so many brands involved is going to eventually drop prices. If the government continues with its financial support, that'll make it easy for some people to transition. But I, I think we're going in one direction. We're not going to go back. It's going to be all EV at some point. Maybe not my lifetime, but eventually that's the way it'll be. All right. Well, Gary Berger, founder of the Tesla Owners Club of Arkansas, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So that's our interview. I, I kind of uh, feel like we're in a period of time not unlike when automobiles first appeared, and most people traveled by horses and horse-drawn wagons. They had every reason to be skeptical of the newfangled contraptions. It was in the late 1800s when steam, electric, and gas-powered vehicles began appearing. Gasoline until then was just a byproduct of producing kerosene, which was needed for lamps. For the few who had cars, gasoline was hard to come by and was first sold by pharmacies. Not from pumps, but in five-gallon containers an employee would lug out to the car to fill its tank. It wasn't until 1909 the first paved road in the country appeared in Detroit, and in 1913 the first drive-up gas station specifically designed to sell fuel opened in Pennsylvania. It sold gas at a price that equates today to $6.39 a gallon. I say all that just to point out that the United States hasn't always had a gas station on every corner. The wagon trails pioneers used to venture west weren't suitable for those first slow-paced motor cars. But when Americans became convinced motorized vehicles could be useful in their lives, and industries sprung up to provide what was needed for driving them, a massive industry was born and the world was changed. So yes, there remain some challenges and unanswered questions and technological advances needed before electric vehicles are right for a majority of motorists. But like Berger, I think that day will come. 
Now for that event I told you about, the Northwest Arkansas Council will hold its second annual Drive Electric NWA event at 11 a.m. on Saturday, September 30th at Pinnacle Hills Promenade in Rogers. The event lasts until 4 p.m. The event features electric car owners, area electric utilities, electric bike shops, and others who can answer questions about EV ownership and operation. Visitors can also try out driving one. You can learn more at nwacouncil.org slash drive electric. So why is the Northwest Arkansas Council promoting electric vehicles? Well, it's not so much the individual vehicles as much as it's about getting Northwest Arkansas ready for what the organization sees as a wave of EV ownership in the future. The region needs to be ready for it, according to Northwest Arkansas Council Policy Director Rob Smith. The availability of electric car infrastructure, namely the charging stations, will more and more be an influence on whether people visit or move into a community, Smith told me when I visited with him recently. The council wants more and more people familiar with electric vehicles and how they work so that Northwest Arkansas is prepared for that future. So check out Drive Electric NWA when you get a chance. For now, thanks for listening to Speaking of Arkansas. I'm Greg Harton, the editorial page editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. See you again soon.